Hello, and welcome to Leaned In, hosted by Rachel Milo, CEO of the Shawnee Forward Business Alliance, a podcast sparked by Shawnee, Oklahoma's destination as the number one city in Oklahoma for women-owned business, where 49.4% of all businesses are women-owned. Here, you will be inspired by the personal experiences and learn from the expertise of these women leaders who are leaned in. Welcome back, everybody, to the Leaned In podcast, where we talk to women who are running things in our community, and we talk about how they're leaning into their version of success. Today, I have the Executive Director of the Child Advocacy Center, Casey Campbell, with me today. Welcome, Casey. Good morning. How are you? I'm marvelous, marvelous. It is a great morning, and I've had a little bit of a pleasure of visiting with you before we went live today. And one of my um, very interesting facts is that I know your what Casey stands for. And so she um, is introduced as Casey Campbell, but her name is Kazandra. Kazandra, tell me where that name came from. I love this. So um, my name is a compromise. My mom wanted to name me Zandra Lee. And my dad wanted to name me um, Kay Renee. And so they decided to compromise, and I became Kay Zandra Lene. I love it. I love it, right? That's where one plus one does equal three yes. right there, right? That's awesome. I love it. So um, I think that's a great name. And as I mentioned, you're the executive director of the Child Advocacy Center. And what does the Child Advocacy Center do? That is a great question. So we coordinate, we kind of serve as like the central response center for our multidisciplinary team. And that is made up of like law enforcement, um, child welfare investigators, um, all of the people that come together when a child has been hurt or abused. And our role as the Child Advocacy Center is to reduce trauma however we can. And so we have a on-site forensic interviewer that does the interviewing for the officer and the child welfare investigator. So they only have to tell their story one time um, in a nice little fun room, right? And so we just try to make it as comfortable for them as we can. And then we also um, do medical exams there to collect evidence when needed. We provide advocacy for them and for the family. Um, but the whole real role is, one, to support the family and to make sure that child, um, we minimize any additional trauma to that child that we possibly can. And then that we also um, support our multidisciplinary team. So our law enforcement, our child welfare, our medical, our mental health, um, prosecution, the district attorney's office, that we're supporting all of those different parties in um, helping that child, but then also getting justice for whoever might have hurt that child. Yeah. So, Casey, that's a really big role. That's a that's a huge job um, there. That is also a role I'm assuming not a lot of people want to talk about. And so it's probably really hard to, um, I don't know, find your own support dealing with really tough issues that are so sensitive. And so, you know, um, running the Child Advocacy Center, what led you to this job? That's, that's also a good question. So I um, started as a case aide for DHS a little over a decade ago. And was just enlightened to the world of child abuse, right? Mm -hmm. And so as I went out with these different um, workers at the time, because I didn't have my degree, um, I was able to start to get to know the kiddos and the families and their stories and just fell in love with the work altogether, but then also with the workers. Um, so I wouldn't say that this builds on me um, or that I found this field. I think that it kind of mm -hmm. found its way to me. And so I worked in child welfare for over a decade with DHS 
and um, had a lot of array of experiences. I also served as a foster and adoptive parent for almost five years. And um, I think all of those different experiences, as well as my own life experiences, kind of just led me to to being prepared to serve in this capacity. Yeah. And so um, I know in our in our state, uh, there's uh, there's always been a really uh, great need for foster parents. Um, is that still the case? And and what does that look like? Absolutely. So we um, actually, as a state, we continue to lose, especially through COVID, because you have all of these additional stressors and things that are going on. And so, um, but the kiddos that are in care, they some of them have behaviors, right? If something bad has happened to you, we we have feelings about that. And as a child, we need an adult to help us learn how to emotionally regulate those feelings. And I don't want to minimize um, the weight of being a foster parent because it is probably the hardest thing that I've ever done. But there's also so much joy and bliss in it. And so we need as many people as we can to step up into those gaps for any, I mean, all ages of kiddos, but it's something that you truly have to walk into it being as um, selfless, not self-serving as you can be and just truly focused on that child and that family in that union and you'll gain so much from it. Right. But at the same time you get to watch a lot, like the trajectory of a child's life. Like if you want to change your community, foster a child. So. Yeah. If you want to change your community, foster a child, boy, that's a big, that's a tall order. Yeah. Um, and so if people wanted to become foster parents and do they reach out to you and the child advocacy center or how do they do that? So they would not, there's um, a website called okfosters.org. And it has listed on there all of the different agencies across the state that they could look at and foster through. But then they can also foster straight through Oklahoma Department of Human Services. Okay, great, great. So now I want to transition um, not from kind of what you do, but who you are as a person, um, because this is a, you know a podcast where we want to learn from from leaders. And so, as a leader, um, tell me one of the one of the great things that you feel like is a skill set that you have that has helped you advance to continue to grow? Um, you said you first started as an aide without a degree, and now here you are as an executive director. Tell me about some of those skills that you have that you think just kind of led you in this path of success. Sure. Um, I think the biggest one is just remaining teachable, um, that there's always something that you can learn, um, being open to listen to other people's perspectives and opinions, but then also being willing to speak up with your own voice. And so each of us have a different story. We have different lived experiences, um, a different perspective that help us be able to see things differently. And especially when working with people, you need as many of those perspectives as you can get. Um, and so I would say that throughout my journey, it has been being willing to listen to what others have to pour into me, um, not taking it personal, right? Because you want to say that they're coming from it with a place of love, but listening to that feedback and then being able to use that feedback to um, help mold you mm -hmm. um, into the leader that you are and picking from other leaders that you see um, observationally and then also being willing to um, speak in a meeting, like, right? And share share something that you might not, that you see that somebody else might not see, but yeah, what a great balance, right? So remain teachable, but also don't lose your voice, yeah. um, Kelly. And that's just, um, I think that's a teeter-totter. We all work to kind of balance our whole life and our whole career. It's not easy, right? No. And so, um, you know, this is something where I think um, women definitely uh, have that inner inner self-talk all the time of like, you know, do I, do I speak up in this place or not? And so... Can you tell me maybe somewhere along the way where you did use your voice and uh, did not remain silent? And then how did that maybe either change the trajectory of the meeting or the job or the role? Um, 
Tell me a time when you've used your voice and maybe it wasn't the most popular opinion at the time. Sure. Um, there's many of those because <laughs> my mom <laughs> raised me to be a very verbal person. Um, the one that sticks out the most for me was I was working in child welfare and there were some kiddos that had been abused by one of their parents. And we, because of DHS policy, were having to have these visitations for these kiddos. And um, it was emotionally and mentally wearing on the on the kids. They were teenagers. And I remember, you know, talking to my supervisor about it and her saying, well, it's policy. We still have to present them. They can then deny the visits and we can go on. Um, and I wasn't still okay with that. Um, but the kiddos were having so many mental health issues that were landing them up in the emergency room because they were so stressed and so anxious about what was going on. And I remember my supervisor telling me that I still had to do the visitation and me telling her that I would not emotionally or mentally abuse these children anymore. And I slammed the door on her and I loved her death. Sorry, Denise. Um, but slammed the door on her and I left and I didn't answer her phone call for three hours. I was like, I'm so getting fired. Like, <laughs> and I went to the emergency room and I was with the kiddos. And when I came back, she pulled me into her office and she sat me down and she said, I talked to the district director. We've made an exception. We don't have to do the visitations. We got it cleared with the judge. Um, and so they didn't have to do that, right? I didn't have to keep on going down that path. And I think so many times in life we get stuck that we can't ask for an exception, right? Yeah. But there are exceptions. And sometimes we have to make our voice just a little bit louder when it's what's right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really hard for people sometimes because especially when you're talking back to a leader, right? Like that was my supervisor. I totally could have lost my job. But at the same time, it was a child's life, right? And we were literally causing more harm than good. And that's not our role. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's tough. Um, and a great situation um, to your point, you know, um, policy is there for a reason, right? That more times than not, it's the right thing to do, or it's the underlying proven best practice. Uh, but there are exceptions. Absolutely. There are exceptions to all the rules, which is interesting. And so, um, you know, I have to think that that role um, in that moment, that's an emotional moment. But what you do probably um, burdens you emotionally yourself. Um, I spent about six or seven years as a youth director, and I just remember the emotional drain of being a youth director that I thought, this is just not what I can do my whole life. I'm, I don't carry those emotions. And maybe I wasn't mature enough at the time or, or something, but I couldn't do it. And you do that all day, every day with, like you said, kiddos' lives. Um, how, do you, how do you balance that? And what do you do to keep your own emotional well-being? So I think that moral distress is something that is really rampant in um, frontline work when it comes mm -hmm. to working with children with child abuse. And moral distress is when um, something literally is going against your morals. And so inside, internally, it doesn't sit right and your anxiety continues to you know, increase mm -hmm. and your ability to help the situation, you're not seeing a lot of pathways for that. Right. And so I think that it's just doing the next right thing and focusing on that, focusing on what we can change. I don't do direct practice. Um, and so I am not the one that is sitting there holding a child's hand. I'm not the one comforting a parent. Um, that is my limit, right? Yeah. And so I am more administrative. I support the people that are doing the, the hard, hard work. Yeah. And um, while we hear those same stories, I think that it's just focusing on what can I change? What can I make better? Um, and then, the future, I guess, like the hope for that child. If I do this right, if I put these supports in place, if they get the counseling. And so I'm a fixer by nature. Right. And so if I'm doing all of these things and we're getting that um, 
putting those things in place in, in the right way for this child. Mm-hmm. Where will this child be in for the family? Mm-hmm. Where will they be in five years or when yeah. this child is an adult? And are we preventing enough additional trauma and allowing enough supports to help that child heal mm-hmm. that then they're not ending up back here with their own kiddos, right? And so um, I think that just focusing on that has really helped me. Um, but then I guess compartmentalizing, maybe it's a characteristic of a trait yeah. um, that some people are just able to compartmentalize things a little differently mm-hmm. than others. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, compartmentalization is definitely a, a wonderful learned skill. Yeah. <laughs> Disassociation. <laughs> That's right. Kind of that too. And so, um, Casey, tell me kind of what's next for you. What, where are you going? What's next for you? Um, so our Child Advocacy Center is taking a lot of changes. Um, we are moving out from underneath the district attorney's office to our own standalone 501c3. And then I think from there, you know, the opportunity is to grow. It is to not just do the minimum when it comes to serving our children, our most vulnerable children in our community, but to put every possible quality support in place that these kids and families need. And so I don't see a limit when it comes to our child advocacy center. I see um, the ability for us to be able to be the the model for our state, honestly, because we have the most amazing individuals and citizens in Pottawatomie County um, to help us build that. And so while we are currently at a donated hallway, I feel like sometimes when you're down, right, as a person, you're down, there's no place to go but up. Mm -hmm. I feel like as a child advocacy center, there's no place for us to go that up. And so um, over time, I'd love to see having on-site therapists for our kiddos and families and doctors that they can see, not just for a medical exam, but for other things as well, because these are kiddos that are going to need ongoing support sometimes. Um, and so there's just, there's lots of hope for me when I look at that center. Um, and I know that right now I don't see myself serving anywhere else. Um, yeah. yeah. And now a brief pause in your podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Fiona Shaughnessy, and I'm the account executive with Shawnee Forward. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Shawnee Forward's ambassador program. Our ambassador program is a great way to learn more about what's going on within the community and to build meaningful relationships with local professionals. If you have any questions on how to become a part of Shawnee Forward's ambassador program, I'd love to hear from you at membership at shawneeforward.com. And now, back to Lean In. Um, and so how many people work for for the Child Advocacy Center today? So we are small but mighty. There is four of us all together, three full-time, one part-time, and then we have um, two, three volunteer St. Nurses. Gotcha. And so, Casey, I I see your vision for the, um, the center, um, and I know you're going to be at the head of it. But, you know, I to your point, you are always teachable and you're always learning. What are you learning right now? Oh, so many things. So I um, have been very blessed to have a support network of other child advocacy center directors that I have really leaned into and just tried to see what they're doing, how they're doing it, um, and how they built their organization, their agency to where it is. But then we also have the Avitas Roundtable um, with all of those different nonprofit executive directors and um I think for me, it's just it's being willing to have those conversations, those vulnerable conversations um, with other executive directors of, hey, this is where I'm at right now. I'm trying to work through healthcare insurance and all of those things. And so I am a social worker by trade. This is very new territory for me. Um, but being willing to be vulnerable in those moments and say, hey, I don't know, but you do. Um, right. And then yeah. having them pour into you that knowledge. Yeah. Great. 
You know, the Avitas Roundtable uh, is really just a blessing to our community. And how long have you been attending the Avitas Roundtable? Um, so they invited me back in January, and then we had a little bit of a summer break. But yeah, so for a few few months, I've had the honor of going. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. And so, um, Casey, I always like to ask, um, you know, a couple of things. You know, one, what advice would you give um, young women who are starting their career or looking to kind of take the next step in their career, what advice would you give them? Um, so when I started with the Department of Human Services, um, I left for a short period of time and then I came right back um, because I didn't feel like there was any other place that I could make as big of a change. And so I kind of pigeonholed myself of this is where I'm going to do and this is the only place that I'm going to do it at. And so I would say that for those younger people of be open minded um, be willing to to take the risk sometimes because if I would have stayed in that mindset, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I'm very thankful for where I am today. And so I think that um, sometimes we we know what we want to do, but it's not what we want to do. And that's okay because I wanted to be a nurse and then I wasn't a nurse and then I wanted to be a Zumba instructor and I did that for a bit. I wanted to do cosmetology and blah, 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 blah. But um, you're going to get where you're supposed to be. Yeah. You just have to be willing to keep taking those risks and those chances to get there. And trying them. Yeah. Right? And trying yeah. them. Try, try, and try again. That's Absolutely. Right. I, I tell uh, um, the young ladies that I mentor all the time, it's okay if you don't know what you're going to do for 35 years. Just know what you want to do today. It's Absolutely. Discover okay. what you um, enjoy today. And then an, another thing that I would ask is um, – this is just kind of a get to know, somebody to get to know, but you know, we all have different mentors um, throughout our journey, but we also have people that we cling to for hope or an idea or um, um, our faith. But if you could, um, if you could kind of credit anyone for really guiding you or leading you or mentoring you, um, who, who's kind of helped you along the way? That is a really hard, hard question because there's so many women um, at so many different stages of my life. Um, my mom is a survivor of domestic violence. Mm -hmm. um, she's also a business owner as well and an incredible strong woman. But I think, I mean, with her and just her knowledge and seeing how hard she's always worked and just like that grit and determination mm -hmm. to keep going on. I think that that's been a lot of it, uh, but just the encouragement also to just always speak up and use my voice. I come from a long line of very strong, opinionated <laughs> women, but then there's also those within my life, like I said, like other moms that have become moms to me. And then when I worked for the department, Trisha Howell, Dr. Deb, Samantha Galloway, like they are just incredible, strong, um, confident women, yeah. um, but also just very nurturing and compassionate. And so people that I definitely want to be like when I grow up. <laughs> no doubt. No yeah. doubt. I love it when you can call a woman strong and compassionate, right, and and bold and successful and kind, right. Um, I feel like we've evolved as leaders when when we can use both of those words to describe leaders, right, Absolutely. on both extremes, and that they're both valuable. Um, Casey, you're doing great work in our community. We are so very fortunate to have you, and we thank you for all that you're doing for the Child Advocacy Center. Thank you. And um, Casey, we um, appreciate you as a woman leader in our community, and we hope that everybody who is listening to the podcast today learned a little bit about the Child Advocacy Center, and that uh, when you guys are officially a 501c3, that we are there to um, support you both um, financially um, and um, in any way that you need the support. I know you have a great support team in this community with our with all of the people that work um, um, around you, but but we want you to know that we support you and we thank you. 
Thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And for those of you who um, enjoyed this and learned about it, uh, please uh, put your comments in the comment section, share it. And if you know anybody who may need any of these services, we ask that you please reach out. Um, And Casey, for example, if you are in a home um, with abuse and or you suspect something in a home near you, how do, how do they report that? So law enforcement and child welfare. Um, so you would need to contact 911, make an initial report, um, and then the DHS child welfare hotline. And let me get you that number really quick um, just so y'all, that y'all have it. Absolutely. And we'll put these in the show notes for you who may be driving and want to look at it later. But you can call 911 or the child welfare hotline. Yes. And the number for that is one 800 522-3511. Okay, that's 1-800-522-3511. Yes, ma'am. All right, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to the Leaned In Podcast each week. We uh, appreciate you and hope that you are learning some great things about some great ladies in our community. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leaned In. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. It helps us to continue to help you. Connect with Jessica Nickerson at marketing at shawneeforward.com for advertisement or sponsorship opportunities. Until next time, share this podcast so you can be leaned in.